Hey everybody, welcome back to my podcast, Scary Stories. This is season two, episode two, and let's start with the episode. My sister brought home a clown. I grew up with a healthy fear of clowns, I say. Could have been because of Stephen King, could have been because of John Wayne Grace, or could have been because those are creepy looking. My family has never let me live it down. So it shouldn't have been a surprise to me when I walked into our house one day to see a seven foot animatronic clown appearing at me from the corner of the living room. A sign hung around his neck that read free hugs. I felt my eyebrows scrunched together in disgust and walked off to my bed. It was too late for me to deal with this. The following morning, I started awake by a high-pitched and crazy laughter. For a moment, I felt my legs seized before remembering I walked into the, the room to see my 18-year-old sister, Lily, stepping on a little pad connected to the clown and giggling along with it as it reached its robotic arms out to pretend to grab her. She noticed me and giggled even harder. I got him at the Halloween store. peered over the frozen figure telling us both his name is giggles dad said and we're going to move him into your room once halloween is over she smirked i did not she left for work quickly after and told me to have fun with giggles once again breaking into laughter i didn't study him too hard last night but now as i stepped back and really noticed his face my legs once again started to feel tense his eyes were yellow and almost cat-like, with purple diamond makeup surrounding them, a goofy white smile permanently painted on, wild purple hair to match the purple-blooded outfit he had on, a fake deck of cards rest in his pocket. Other than his eyes, his face looked weirdly human, unusual with the animatics you see in haunted houses and Halloween stores just some of giant creepy dolls, but Giggles looked like he walked straight out of a big shop and into my home. I chalked it off to the advancement in technology and went back to my bed. I dreamed of Giggles snapping my spine, my body broken mingling mess, his smile still frozen. I woke up to laughter once again. This time I sighed. Was this gonna be a new routine? My mom was in the living room reading on the couch. I sat down next to her and without looking up, she said, The stupid thing has gone off on its own twice since I got here. Ha ha, I muttered, thinking she was just teasing me. As soon as the sarcastic laugh had left my mouth, Giggles' yellow eyes lit and his arms stretched forward. Oh, you were a little fast. I'll get you next time, Giggles cried in his high voice, followed by the same laugh I'd been woken up twice earlier. I noticed Mom shook me. I told you so. Look out of the corner of my eyes, but you, I remained fixed on Giggles. Do animatronic mouths usually open and form words so perfectly? Maybe his on motion sensor. I walked over and swung my arms a few times. Nothing other than his eyes seemed to follow me, my arms. I looked over at the mom and found thinking about how I already 
want to get rid of the stupid thing. Thing, so she didn't need to turn on the sensor on. I was still skeptical or maybe just wanted mom to be wrong. I reached behind giggles and looked at the wire connected to him and saw she wasn't motion sensitive Ah! As soon as I let go of giggles, the yellow eyes flared up again and the robotic arms reached out and caught one of my arms. Then I felt a light squeeze as the clown yelled, Come a little closer, I got games and hugs. I gasped and jumped back as he gleefully laughed and went back to his normal stand. I stood there feeling as stiff as Giggles was until I heard my mom laugh. You never did like clowns, huh? I glared at her as I started back towards my room. I heard Giggles laughing as I closed my door. Ever since Giggles moved into the living room, my circular rhythm seemed to be the only thing that hasn't been waking me up. This time, it wasn't laughter, it was my dog. My eyes slid open, hearing a slight whimper in my ear. My 110-pound Sepinol was staring back at me, her weapon of tail whipping my legs with every wag. doing bud charity usually only sleeps in mom's room but anytime she hears something that scares her it's my bed she ends up in this particular night the sound happened to be thunder as lightning broke through the heavy clouds and briefly burning my room i patted her head thunder cracked again and when my room was lit up this time i noticed something in the, my mirror i grabbed the flashlight on my nightstand and squinted as my eyes adjusted and noticed my reflection twisted in a face of horror written on the wall behind my bed in purple letters come a little closer the sender loudly filled my ears as well as laughter from the other room maybe it wasn't the storm that scared my dog the next few days came and went there were small things happening only I'd seemed to notice one morning. I noticed Sigil's white gloves were splattered with what looks like dry blood, ladder in front, and McCain's dead bird on our deck. Next day, Giggles was facing a little more to the right than usual, and I found a joker card sitting on my bed later. Giggles continually went off on his own. I thought I was going crazy, but that didn't stop me from constantly feeling on edge. Then Friday came, date night for my parents. Lily was working a third shift. I was alone. Well, I was with giggles. 10 o'clock came. I kept Charity in my room, not because she was scared, but because I was. Laughter erupted from the living room a couple of times, and I shivered. I turned up the volume on my TV. 11.30, more laughter, closer this time. Then again, right outside my door, I heard my breath. Charity was fast asleep under my bed. I listened sadly. Then I heard screeching. Come a little closer. The voice was not the usual one. It was still high-pitched, but it was quieter, teasing me. I fumbled around in my bed trying to find my phone. I texted my mom and told her to call 911. Then I reached into my nightstand drawer 
The scratching turned into knocking, and I searched frantically for anything I could use as a weapon. Come a little closer, a little closer, Giggles sniffled. I found a pocket knife. I closed it tightly. Giggles was now pounding at the door. Dom rattled fiercely as he howled with laughter. If you don't come closer, I will, he screeched. Then nothing, the door stopped shaking. The knob was sat still. Cherry was still sitting at the foot of my bed, the hair on my neck standing. I didn't still move. Suddenly, the door broke off its hinges, collapsing loudly against my floor. I cried out loudly in fright as I stared straight into the hollow yellow eyes. He stood there not moving, just smiling and staring. But this wasn't his normal position. He was alive? He was staring me down. He was going to kill me? His lips formed a pout through his makeup. Sir rest in an ugly grin. What's the matter? Don't you want a hug? His streaking laugh pierced my ears. Chuddy let out a low growl. Then when he bailed towards me, his already bloody gubs grabbed my arm. He leaned in the clothes. His eyes burned. My heart was beating so hard. I thought it'd break my ribs. How? Now we can play a game. We'll see how much you can break before you die. I heard it before I felt it, the crunch that could have been a tree branch being stepped on. Then instead it was my arm being snapped, the pain radiated through my body, and I screamed. I couldn't hear myself over giggles laughing out in joy. I stared down at the bones broken and jilted out of my body, blood soaked in the sheets and dripping onto the carpet. Giggles had left what looks like a burn in the shape of his hand on my skin. I cried, paralyzed. That's when Charity jumped. I went to yell out to her, not wanting her to meet the same fate, but she caught Giggles by surprise, clumping down on his shoulder and ripping the arm right off the socket. It dropped heavily on the floor, and Charity broke as a siren could also be heard wailing in distance. Giggles started towards Charity, then stopped and looked at me instead. His mouth curled into a horrible smile. He said, Don't worry, I'll keep close. We can finish the game soon. He ran out of the room, and I saw blue and red flashing coming from outside my window a few minutes later. Giggles was never found. The police probably thought I was crazy. My family, too. But no one ever said anything after all had could explain the burn marks on my arm, the broken bones, my dog refusing to leave my side, and the robotic, lifeless arm beside her. Charity stepped by me every night, and no one has ever brought a clown to the house since, which is weird because sometimes I do hear one giggling. I hope you enjoyed the first story. That was called My Sister Brought Home a Clown. So let's just get started with the next story. Hey, 
everybody. So since Christmas time's coming, I thought why don't I tell a Christmas horror story. So this Christmas story is called A Dark Christmas Tale. Some of the most lasting memories are associated with Christmas time. I can clearly remember receiving a red tricycle when I was four. I can still smell the roast goose my mother made for our Utide dinner when I was six. I recall fondly that when I was nine, my father let me climb up the ladder to place the star on top of the tree. And when I was 11, a dead man terrorized me on Christmas Eve. When I was 12, he came back. This is the story of that man. As a child, I lived with my parents in Brentwood Manor, a home that dated back to 1897. It's probably the nicest house you'll ever see. I could go on about how beautiful it is, but the splendor of this home isn't a point of the story. What you really need to know is the futures on the ground that, as far as I know, it's replicated, not, it's replicated on any place. You see, a few years after the manor was built, the Bateforn family started a tradition that still carries on to this day. They planted their Christmas trees outside the manor house. When Christmas was over, the trick to doing this successfully is that you have to get the trees with its roots falls still intact. The first tree, the 1901 tree, is rooted right next to the house. About 20 feet away from the tree is, you guessed it, the 1902 tree. As the years went by, each new tree was planted a little bit farther away. The effect was to some pull off the main highway and they followed the line in every spaced pine tree. That gets older and grander as they get closer to the manor. Some of the trees are quite huge. The preferred owners of the manor thought two generations finally selling it in 1952. The new owners fell in love with the Christmas tree tradition and continued on with it. My family brought home it the late 70s and we too kept up the tradition. I love staring out the car window at the line of trees every time my parents and I drove up to the house. Each one has its own history and unique personality. When I was feeling bored, I go outside and run along them. Sometimes I even use a stopwatch to see how long it took me to make it from the farthest street and back. Three and a half minutes, by the way. It was during one of those runs that I first noticed something was amiss. There was twice as large gap between two of the pines. It was as if another tree shouldn't have been there, but wasn't. From the road, it wasn't really observed because the treetops grew together so thickly, but it was noticeable from close up. If you would pay any attention, most people probably wouldn't have given a second thought of this apparent missing tree. But to me, it was a mystery in a very own front yard, and I dwelled on it all day, wondering what happened and could have happened to it. Fueled by the curiosity, I counted the number of trees between the house 
and the missing pine, I got 57, which means that 1958 was accounted for. I pointed it out to my father later that evening. He took a walk with me before sunset and confirmed that yes, a tree did in fact appear to be absent. I wonder what happened to it, I said, as I stood in the exact spot where it should have been. I don't know, champ. Maybe it got sick and died. I laughed at that. Trees don't get sick. Sure they do. Lots of things could happen to make a tree sick. Or maybe it even got hit by lightning. Well, I want to know for sure, I demanded as I words came from my mouth. I felt sudden chill pass through my body. It started at my feet and worked its way up. I struggled not knowing why I was doing so. My father didn't seem to notice. I don't know if we'll ever know for sure. Charlie, sometimes that's just how it is. The sun was staring, starting to set, so together we walked back into the manor house. The mystery bonded me for months, right up until Christmas Eve. And that's where the story really begins. It was late when the dead man arrived several hours after my parents and I had enjoyed our Christmas Eve feast. I was trying to fall asleep when I noticed by a pale green light in my digital clock that someone was suddenly standing at the foot of my bed. I had no idea how he got inside. My heart nearly tore out its chest. I been to sleep hoping that the man wouldn't hurt me but he wasn't deceived you can get out of bed he said with a drawl my eyes peeked open but my body didn't move get up he insisted as he roundly pulled my comforts from the bed with his dirty exert hands i sat up shakily all while planning to run off my parents room once the opportunity presented itself don't think about going running to your parents now, the man said. He was very tall, but his dog's dappled eyes peered past his greasy long hair and made him more menaced than any giant could have been. Yeah, that's right. I'm in your head. I know exactly what you're thinking. He grabbed my shirt and lifted me to my feet. What do you want for Christmas, he asked. Fear drove away my ability to speak. Fine, don't tell me, the man said with laughter. I already know what you asked for. I reflectively ran through my Christmas list in my mind and utterly a baseball, a racetrack. Boy, you ain't getting an utterly for me, he twanged, but you want to know about the missing Christmas tree out in front of you? Still holding on to my shirt, the man walked me out of the room. He didn't even flinch when I screamed up my parents. To my dismay, they didn't even respond, which didn't seem to surprise him at all. Later, I figured out he used some sort of charm to keep them asleep through. I knew they would have fought tooth and nail to help me if they could have. We made it outside to the front of the manor where an unfamiliar car was parked. I can't tell you the make or model, but it was a shiny white muscle car straight from 1970s. He left me standing there as he went around to the driver's side and stepped in. 
He looked over at me through the side window. Get in, he demanded. The passenger door opened on its own. I shook my head slowly as I backed away. Only a minute early, I'd been resting snug in bed, and yet there I stood in the cold outdoors, given directions by a valiant man. Everything was happening so fast. Boy, the man droned, if I have to get out of this car to collect you, I'm going to cut your tongue out. I took another step backwards and slipped on slush and gravel, landing square on my butt. Inside the car, the man reached out his wristband and pulled out a switchblade then opened it in a single fluid motion. I turned and tried to stand, but my feet slipped on the under me, and I fell back to the earth. I heard this door open, and in only a few seconds, he was upon me. Now you pissed me off, kid. He jammed his finger into my mouth and pinched my tongue. I shook my head furiously, unsuccessfully trying to free myself. He made his first with the other hand and punched the side of my head. I'm going to keep clocking you if you don't relax he splat out stunned into a bloomers i stopped shaking my head the man pinched his fingers down hard and pulled my tongue past my lips further than i ever realized it could have extended the knife glanced in the moonlight as he raised it up and started slicing it into the side and to expose my tongue like a piece of vital melting under the ceiling pressure. If you ever bit on your tongue before multiple, the pain is about a thousand. And you'll know how I felt at the moment. Just as I thought I was about to lose my tongue forever, the man stopped madly slicing and threw the knife to the ground in anger. It sizzled as it landed on the snow. God, he screamed. Just look what you made me do the blood ran freely from my mouth the man reached into his pocket and threw an oily white rag on my face clean yourself up i ran a trembling finger up the incision point of my tongue and considered how much it hurt i was surprised to find that it hadn't cut nearly as deep as i thought and my tongue was still mostly attached the man walked back to the car and let himself in he didn't have to say another word he just stared at me with a fiercest glare that darted me to take another step away i obtainedly stepped inside the coast the passenger door the low rumbling of the iron engine suddenly became more louder. I heard the dirt and gravel kick out underneath the rear tires as I was pushed back into the seat and forced the car to accelerate. Don't be getting no blood on my holster, the man said as he stared straight ahead. Truck you. I short a back differently as the tears from my eyes ran down and mixed with the blood from my mouth. Nevertheless, I made sure to stop up at the blood with the bag. The car vibrated as the thick fog enveloped us, and the road 
that's been driving on began the slower transform from the modern aspect highway into a road byway that I didn't recognize. I got the feeling that wherever we were going, it wasn't a place that was acceptable to just be any driver. The car shook as it took the bump in front of us. The man didn't slow down. In fact, he sped up, making the ride as uncomfortable as possible for me. Soon, a small building framed in moonlight and I, dirty snow appeared in the distance. As we got closer, I saw a gray paint peeling off the clapboard siding. A shabby tin roof covered the structure. The only entrance was a garbage door that opened as we approached. As the car pulled into the structure, I took in my surroundings. The garbage was far larger on the inside than it looks on the outside. Grease covered the walls, and grimly tools laid haplessly on the floor. The only light came from the single overhead lamp and smugly window that let the moonlight step through. The man pulled inside and reversed the engine before killing it. God damn it, he yelled as he punched the steering wheel. I didn't know why he was mad. Don't leave this car, he demanded. As me, I stepped out and walked toward the small room that was built into the corner of the garbage. The man entered and closed the door behind him. did as he had demanded and stayed in my seat, bleeding in silence. Soon the fact became saturated with blood and I was faced with an unsubstantial choice. Leave the car against the man's instructions or get blood on the seat also against the man's instructions. I glanced around in the interior car and oddly enough it was a strong condition. Presently, I opened the door. It was well greased and moved. Suddenly, I stepped outside. Just as the rag absorbed its last possible drop, the next drop plunged on the floor of the garage. A new voice spoke out to me on the rock. That looks painful. The overhead light made a cone in the machine in dusty room, but the voice had come from just beyond the light that there. Yeah. It's okay, you can come closer, the new voice went far aggressively than the voice of the man who cut my tongue. I waited to let my eyes fully adjust to the condition, and eventually I was able to make out the shape of the person sitting on the ground. The new person sighed and relented to go to him. All right, hold one minute, I'll come to you. I heard the clang of chains as the formed stood. I drew a dragging sound, specifically metal being scraped over concrete filled the room. As he drew nearer to the light, I could see that that an automobile engine attached to him by chains was trailing behind him. He huffed as he pulled his burden. The capillary area clinging links and screaming metal made me cringe. The chains were wrapped around his body and secured with several iron padlocks. They extended a few feet out to where his bolted engine block. This man Alvinch wasn't going anywhere fast. Did he do this to you? He pointed to my bloody mouth. Yet, I affirmed. That French in front of me laughed. Well, looks like he messed up then. He pulled closer to me and studied my face. That's a lot of blood. He ain't allowed to do that to the kids. 
We studied each other for a moment. His face was smudged with grease and he wore blue coveralls. He looked like he might have been about 20, but they were 20 hard years. What you do that got him so pissed off? The Vince asked me. He usually doesn't make mistakes like that. I shrugged my shoulder. Hmm. Sometimes got him out of sorts. The Vince soaked the stubble of his face. What's your name? Thario Morton. The pain and the swelling in my tongue made it nearly impossible to speak. You said Charlie Morton? Uh-huh, I uttered with a nod. He pointed some more. The name doesn't sound important. Where do you live, Charlie? Clifford Manor. Uh-huh, he shrieked. That's it. That's why we got him all sorts. We have to go back there. I stood blankly at the fence, waiting for an explanation. You see, guys like Corbin, he pointed to the office where the man disappeared. They don't like visiting places that remind them of when they were alive. Corbin, the man's name was Corbin. I pointed out whenever it was his first or last name. The Rens kept glabbing. After the states put him in the hot chair in 74, he became some sort of new man, became undisciplined of the rule maker. Whoa, the rule maker? The poor Rens seemed disappeared for friendly conversation you know i've been here for 10 years and i haven't totally figured it out for myself best i can tell is he some sort of demon i don't even know what his name is i just call him the rule maker because it seems like he lays out some sort of rules for corbin to follow all i know for sure is that he sends corbin out every christmas eve to destroy the lives of certain children he seems the same one over and over they got some sort of master plan i don't know what it is from inside the office booming voice spoke out in the inhuman language the sound to me like a chainsaw and car crash the walls of the garage shook as my teeth rattled inside my head the rents paused to listen to the voice then spoke whenever it was quiet again that's the rule maker i ain't ever seen him anyway those two really get a messing up a kid's life just to give you an explanation of what they do, one kid asked for his parents to go away. So Corbin cut the goddamn heads off and took them. Then he gave the heads back to next year just because the kid said they missed them. The rents looked around specifically to make sure they were still alone. The planned out man, he is totally messed up with me like i said i don't know how or why he picks his kids all i know for sure is that he's not actually supposed to hurt them directly it's a rules maker number one rule he judge supposedly screw with and take their witches and twist them around more of the booming voice came from the room and Corbin could be heard arguing back in the same excellent language the man, the rule maker, pissed, the grin said with an almost gleeful laugh. Whatever Corbin has planned for you, it's going to be totally different now. He's going to have to make an amend for what he did to you. The voice of the rule maker exploded again. For a moment, it felt like the whole building was going to collapse on me. When it stopped, Corbin yelled back in English, No, I don't want to give her up. She's my first kill. 
he was cut off by a scheme from a moonmaker when one that was the loud cracks forms along with dirty window and paint chipped fell from the ceiling above. Fine, I'll do it, Corbin's sudden anger and resents. The door of the office opened and Corbin backed out slowly. He glibly as he passed through the doorway and his anger stare began to fade from his face. It will be done, he stared back at the room with a profound calmness. He closed the door behind him. Turning his notice to me and Vince, stop talking to him before I cut your hand off, he said to my new acquaintance. Yes, sir, the wrench snapped as he saluted. Get back in the car, Corbin demanded. Not wanting it further, upset Corbin, I jumped into the passenger side of the car while the garage door began to roll up. In the mirror, I could see the wrench lifting his arm and waving goodbye to me. Before the door was completely open, the car peeled out of the speed of the building, clearing the bottom of the door by only a hair. The last I saw the wrench was standing, jetting, looking amid clouds of rubbery smoke. The car tore over the fog and shared the road while its highlights reflected backwards and created a glowing white aurora around it. The engine protested a growl as Corbin shifted the higher gear. I couldn't see more than five feet out the window, but Corbin only went faster. I looked at the speedometer. 120. 130. 140. My head felt woozy and heavy, and I laid my head back against the headrest and shut my eyes. The pitch of the engine went higher and higher until it faded away completely. I came to... I had been unconscious. The night was clear with no sign of fog. I saw a dirty snowbank up along the edges of the road, and the car was traveling at reverse speed. We drove for several more minutes in silence until Corbin slammed the brakes and skated along the aspen. He turned and growling at me. Here's the deal. If you save the girl, you can save yourself. What girl, I asked, with a sudden awareness that my mouth was no longer hurts. I stuck my tongue out and felt a long inside. It felt like a lump of scar tissues, but it was otherwise healed. We figured out who soon enough. He reached out over me and opened the door. This is the one chance. Save her and you'll never see me again. If you don't, I'll be coming back for you. I stepped out of the car, confused about my mission. I soon as the second foot hit the aspen, the car drove off and the rear wheels were sliding pins from the face. Soon I was alone. I took my surroundings from the road and I was standing on a snake through the woods. The moonlight reflected off the snow, preferring with me the least a bit of light. One of the nearby hills looked familiar, like it was something around my home. I walked that direction and crest with the minutes from the peak. I found myself looking down at the manor, yet something seemed off about it. I approached the car parked in the manor, rounding about driveway. Didn't belong to my parents. They were classic cars that I didn't recognize. As I trudged through the slushy snow, I drew closer to small details. Came to a view that confirmed that it wasn't quiet yet. The curtains in the windows were wrong color. Plants in the hedges were different than the Christmas trees. The ones that were all in the main room lawn seemed to smaller than at least them. The front door opened and a well-dressed couple emerged onto the front stoop. The woman was holding some newly wrapped gift, descended down the stairs, followed by the man. They were deep conversation and they were 
went to where the car opened the trunk. Hello, I shouted to the couple. They both croaked their heads as they heard something like I might have been saddened from a mile away. I thought I was actually fairly close. Did you hear that? The woman asked the man. The man shrugged his children. A moment later, a boy who maybe a couple years younger than me emerged from the front door and ran to the couple. Shut the door, the man said to the child, and make sure it's locked. The child ran back to the porch stairs and made sure the house was secure. Can you help me? asked with uncertain. They gave no response. The three of them loaded into the car and could hear bits and pieces of the conversation that they did so. They fretted about being late for whatever gathering they were going to, and the boy sang a Christmas song to himself. Their conversation was meaninglessly to me. That is, until I heard the woman mention his name. Corbin! I froze and listened intensely. So I put Corbin to work today. I mostly some gardening out. I also had him dig a hole to plant the Christmas tree. Already asked the man who assumed to be husband. It's barely Christmas Eve. What's the rush? Have you seen the tree lately? He asked. It's dry. It will wait for much longer. There's no won't be a tree left to put in the ground, and we won't be breaking a fifty years tradition in my watch. The man nodded and spoke his agreement. I suppose it's starting to get a little dry. Maybe it's unsafe. The car started up and the family drove out without acknowledging my presence. Through the window I could see in the parlor which was briefly decorated with Christmas trees and lights that were strung over my room. I noticed with increase and ease they were a distinct difference from the decoration of the family had put up. I walked around the house looking at every window I could could manage and each intensely furniture decorated well the difference from the who's supposed to be there i wasn't sure what to make of this situation but i decided that i would be a little to gain by standing around outside i had to task a miss i even i had to push onwards i went to the side of the door and tried the handle to see if it was unlocked but i found myself unable to grip it as the comps on my hands, the doorknob felt soft like it was made of dough, and my hands actually sunk into the rubber surface. I gasped and pulled my hand back. I collected myself and put my hand out again, and this time on the door itself. As before, the door, which was spin-rolic solid, felt like dough, and my hands could pass through it. I put my arms all the way in and kept pushing. In a few moments, my shoulder was through as well. I took a deep breath and thrust my legs through. As I was halfway, half inside and half out, which is exactly odd situation, I continued to push my head and then the rest of my body into the hole. I was fully inside and I turned and looked at the door. I had just gone through. It was solid as ever. I exposed the house, confused and angered that I wasn't how it was supposed to be. Mom, the kitchen was friendly, saw a calendar. It was from 1958. I had already guessed that I was out of my own time, but that confirmed it. I continued exploring, looking for her, 
who I was supposed to save. I walked up the stairs and oddly enough, they exposed my feet just fine with getting all rubbery. There was nobody upstairs, the family, and any staff was obviously gone for the night. When I looked out the window at the end of the hallway, I saw a small cozy structure which appeared to be a bunkhouse. A light could be seen through the window, and a shadow moved across the floor. The bunkhouse wasn't something I'd ever seen before. I didn't explain just in my time period. As the manor was clearly empty, I left my head and over to unfamiliar building. As I approached, I could see that the bunkhouse was not kept up nearly as well as the manor's house. Hello, I spoke as I peered into the house. I could see that it was a two-room structure, with the front room dotted as a workshop being used to store all sorts of tools, but the room also showed signs of someone had been taking up buttons there. With an icebox, I couched along the wall. In the corner, I could see the back of the man who appeared to be fixing a lawnmower. His shaggy hair fell over his shoulder. In my heart, I already knew who it was. Corbin, I heard the wrench towards sounding through my hand. You see, guys like Corbin, they don't like visiting places that remind them of when they were alive. It was clear that 30 years before my time, Corbin had worked as a handyman at Blankville Manor and lived on the grounds. My goal was somewhere inside the bunkhouse. I was sure of it. I entered the same way and I entered the manor. By stepping through the closed door, Corbin didn't seem to heal me until he did. The click of the wretched was using stopping the cold, peered his head up. Who's there? He asked. I stood there, turning and looking in my direction. He spoke loud. I said, who's there? He couldn't see me. I took an opportunity to study his face. It was definitely the same man who cut my tongue and then brought me here. But he looked much younger, more vibrant. His face was full of his teeth were nearly as nasty. What do you want here? He spoke in my direction, but his gaze felt somewhat to my left. He fetched a pork cigarette from the tabletop next to him and took a moment to light one. You're the one who brought me here, I said. He cooked his head, but it was obvious that he couldn't make out anything of what I was saying. It must sound like a fly or a glimpse to him. The light thumping sound came from the back room. Corbin instantly decided there was nothing to interest in the front of him and started towards the me. Damn it, girl. The best not by making noise. He walked to the door and knocked it, kicked it open. Inside, I could see a girl sitting on the floor. She was chained to the bed spot and she looked miserable in a ratty gray dress and all the slippers. I guess she was probably about 12 or 13. 13 years old. The girl shivered in front. It was her, the one I was expecting to save. Corbin reached back and slapped her. I said, shut up. He screamed as he poured winks in pain. Without another word, he walked out, slamming the door shut behind him. By then, I walked into the bedroom. It was just me and her. She waited a minute after he left, then reached under the bed and pulled out a metal file. 
she looked, locked the door to make sure Colvin wasn't coming back anytime soon. They slowly started rubbing the file against one of the links of chains. He already created a lot even through the file was dull. She must have been working on it for days. At least the dullness made it quite work. The poker was filthy and red. Black circles rang her eyes. She paused from her bowing and looked up, sensing something in the room with her. Hello, she whispered. Can you heal me? I was back. Yes, I can hear you. Where are you? I'm right in front of you, I said. I hadn't meant to scare the girl, but it was understandable when she jumped back in fear. She barged into the bed, pushing it backwards. She shot a fearful look at the door, hoping that Corbin wouldn't come barging inside from the other room and sounded like wrenching, turning, stopped of what seemed like an hour, but as soon as I clicked, the pick of began. I won't hurt you, I told the girl. What's your name? My name is Naga. I'm Charlie, I told her. She reached out her hand and where I was sitting and felt a coldness in her finger pass through my face. She said, I can feel you. She managed a small smile. What are you doing here? I asked. She told me her story in a whispering gesture. Colvin has purchased her from her father a couple of months earlier, who himself had kept her locked up in a cabin for several years. She recounted some happy memories from the early childhood, when her mother was still alive. But the second half of her existence had been one of misery. As she told it, nobody expected her father and Colvin to ever know she existed anymore. She was happy to have someone to talk to, even someone she couldn't see. At one point, she stood up and walked to the closest corner of the room, which was just about as far as her chain allowed. She left a small slab on the wall where concrete had placed under the foundation of the bunkhouse. She reached into the sacred belt and showed her a single treasure of a small doll she had created out of various items and tidbits she was found laying around. This is Pelda, she told me as she held the doll up proudly before a cracking in a baby. I could see the Pelda was made from the scratch and bump lobs that were tied together with a bit of twine. Her insides were formed with twigs that stuck out from beyond the fabric, and her head was made from close pine cones. It was perfectly dull, but it clearly meant everything to Maga. You see, Maga explained, this step was over after Coben pulled the Christmas tree inside so he could trim it and get it ready for the big house. He smiled for the first ten as he spoke about it. I grabbed these things when it wasn't looking. Why don't you tell anyone you're here? I asked her. Why don't you yell when you hear someone walking outside? The boy said he told me he killed the boy if it make any noise. I thought he back to the child where I left my parents early. He's gone right now. I think they went to the Christmas party. 
that seems grimmer to her. She carefully put Belle to the back in her hiding spot. You'll be safe here, she said to the doll. She took her seat on the floor and picked up her bow, which began moving back and forth against the chain with determination. I'm leaving tonight, she said as the field. I'm going to wait for a Santa tubing house and I'll take me away from here up to the North Pole where people will be nice. I don't know if Santa can help you. Magda, her face fell from the woods. But I can, she smiled. Together we can make up a plan that would would try to draw Colvin outside by making noise. When he was distracted, Magda could sneak away and run into the manor where she would use the phone to call police. Just dial zero to the operator to connect instead of her. I don't want Wait for Santa. I need only a few more minutes. Mega finally succeeded in cutting through the chain and was able to free herself from its bitter grip. I moved back into the main room where Corbin was still working on his damn lawnmower, using every last ounce of breath. I yelled his name. Corbin, he jerked up his head. I'm moving here, I yelled. What's going on in here tonight? I said with evidence as he stood fully upright. Who is there? I'm outside, I shouted as I began to push him myself through the outer walls. He took a step towards the front door and then to the bedroom, moved to the bedroom. He flung the door open only to see Mega appear to be sleeping on the floor while she still wrapped in the chain. Leave the girl where she lays. He stomped back across the bunkhouse and stood upon the front door, which was nearly came off its hinges. His head swelled both ways as she poked it out and looked for the source of distraction. Moving a little farther outside, I shouted over again. I can see Corbin's ears twitching as he tried to understand what he was hearing. He took a tensive step out of the building but didn't appear to move any farther. I screamed as him to find me. He shrugged moanly that he did sneer grew on his face. Whoever's out there, you best run. He pulled out a switchblade from his pocket and opened it. With a click, he stepped away from the bunkhouse close to me. Behind him, I could see Mega slowly stepping out of the bedroom, her slight frame with frame bandage as she glided silently across the floor. I kept calling to Corbin, who kept taking ten steps out of the bunkhouse. It took Meg only a few more seconds until she was standing at the doorway behind him. The sneer dropped from Corbin's face, replaced with a baffled stare as he scratched the back of his head. Meg waved on the stud and Uncertain if she should continue or not, she began to shake. I was already screaming as loud as I could. I could at Warren, but I was having less effect with each passing moment. In desperation, I began cussing and swearing instantly and turned back his face from Richardson, as if he could instantly tell that someone was cursing his name. The sneer returned to his face, and the body stepped closer to. He was still unable to see me. Magda took this opportunity and left the bunkhouse with her further steps 
seen noisily move towards the man. Only a few seconds later, Corbin lost all interest in what I was doing and turned back around, barely missing sight of Magda, disappearing across the corner of the manor. I followed Magda, praying that she quickly called the police. Like we planned, I felt a moment of anxiety when I saw that she left footsteps in slushy snow that appeared the ground moved faster, knowing that she would have too much time before Corin came to look for her. Her path led to the opposite of the manor, where she had used a rock to break the window into the library. I was impressed with her resolve. I passed through the wall into the library and called out to her, but got no response. I moved to the kitchen, where I earlier seen the phone, but I couldn't find her. I continued on my way through the house until I made it to the parlor. The Christmas tree was aglow with lights and bulbs garland. Beautiful gifts were wrapped in the vase. I kneeled in front of it. This was Megan. It's beautiful, isn't it? She asked. And I entered the blue and red green with lights colored in the vase and made her look a little less sympathetic. Come on, I insisted. We need to call the police. Magda looked at the fireplace. Santa will be here any minute, and I'll save us both. No, I won't. He won't. Santa's not coming. Mommy told me about about him. I already made a wish for him to take me away. I noticed movements in the darkness and the window. Magda, we don't have much time. And when from the shadow, I could see Corbin online coming towards the house. He was following the path in the snow that has been created minutes earlier by Mega. Hurry, I yelled at her. Mega shut up and any fantasy she had about Santa taking her away for the moment put aside. What do I do? she asked in panic. The kitchen, go to the phone. Mega followed my voice and led her to the kitchen. At the same moment, we heard Corbin kicking the library glass to make a hole in the window big enough for him to climb through. Mega found the phone along the walls. I never used one before. It was a rotary phone, which I was gladly familiar with. Put your fingers in the zero hole and spin the dial. She dialed as I told her and put the handset to her face. I heard it ringing. The sound of Corbin stomping around echoed through the halls as he jumped through the house. Where are you at, you little girl? There was no time. Magda shrieking as she dropped the handset and ran towards the parlor. The sound of the phone hitting the floor attracted Corbin, who entered the kitchen from the south door as Magda left through the other side. I followed Magda down the hallway. Hide, I shouted to her. I'll try to distract him. I ran back towards Corbin and screamed at him, trying to draw him upstairs, but he was determined and paid no attention to whatever noise I was making. He passed right through me. I had no choice but to follow him into the parlor, where we both scanned the room for Meg. She was hiding. Without saying a word, Colvin walked quickly behind the sitting where a set of four legged curtains graced either side of the window. He pushed each one aside with his sinewy waves on, but failed to find her. He took under the table behind the Christmas tree now. Come on, girl. Get yourself out here. I won't hurt you. There was no movement in the room. He moved to the corner, 
he hadn't yet expected a CFBL way coaches to match the one from Edison, but these ones were close. They were slightly burnt in the middle, one that might be hiding a person. Corbin pulled back his first punch into the curtain only to have his hand begin to do something too solid to be human. He screamed as he shook his head back and forth in pain. He moved the curtain aside to see what he hit and found a large cement Santa statue that has been placed in the window. He pulled it to the floor in anger and started to kick it. Along the floor, I noticed some oversized cabinets that were part of a large bookshelf unit. One of the doors moved slightly, feeling like they're hiding in place to me. I knew it wouldn't be long before Coven checked there. I yelled to her, run now. He's distracted. She responded to me and pulled the door open and climbed out tight space while Colby continued his anger turning on the cement. Santa smashed its face with his foot. She ran much faster than her malnourished being would suggest it. Almost passive to make it out of the room, but Corbin, who saw her dart away from the corner of his eye, was much faster. He caught up to her, and she passed through the threshold, fully yanked her back by her hair. She fell to the ground and skid to the center of the room. Corbin, the monster, walked up and kicked her. Now, get over here, he said as he picked her up and slunged her over his shoulder. Manta refused to give up, but the back of his arm drew blood that ran fast down his face. He slammed her to the ground in pain, and with the next motion, with the withdrawal of his Swiss blade, and opened it. You don't ever do that, he yelled at her. Now stand up. from the blow of land on the ground, Magda slowly rose to her feet. His free hand shot out and grabbed her by the throat, and with his other hand he thrust his blade deep into her belly and rolled his hand back and stabbed her again. Blood oozed from her wound and dripped to the carpet below. Spattering landed on the walls and nearly blended in the seasonal decorations. He let her fall to the ground where a red puddle formed around her dying body. I kneeled next to her and tried to hold her hand, but they simply passed through one another. I'm here, I told her. You're not alone. I'm glad you're here with me, she asked. Corbin looked at her as if she was insane. I stayed next to Magda as her breath came increasingly longer gasps between them. Finally, she breathed no more. Corbin seemed anxiety as he glazed at the bulk of her body and hoped bloody room around him. I could sense that he was trying to figure out a way to erase the mess he created as soon he began nodding his head as if he used to loosen the door bed. He scooped up Magnus' corpse and walked 
out of the room and I stayed behind the receiver for what I seen. I soon found that I was immobilized with my failure. Whatever power of movement I'd been granted had ceased. Slowly the moon around me began to fade from my vision. One of the last things I remember seeing was Corbin coming back inside and looking at all around the blood. He took off his shirt and tried to soak some of it up, but there was no way he could bring it all. He stared at the Christmas tree and felt a dry branch. He left momentarily and returned with a bottle of clear liquid, which he set over the tree and surrounded the floor. The liquor proved its potential when he lit the tree the flame up without hesitation. He stepped back from the fire he had seized the fit and watched it grow. The flames created up the walls and dampened the blood spiral. The pool of blood on the floor became sizzling and smoking under the heat. Colin left the room and heard the car start up. A deep powerful engine felt out red and soon it gave away. For my part, I was admitted the flame. It was quiet and bacterial feeling as I could see the heat without any accompanying pain that it would have caused. Despite the light created by the fire, my vision continued to grow darker and darker, and soon I could see nothing at all. And I could only hear the sound of flames rasping their ways up the curtains that I once hid the porcupine Santa. Then I was gone from the place. It was daylight. I was laying in the snow not too far from the manor. It was a kneeling advantage that I was back in my own time. My father's call was out front and that the parlor which had seen the sun flames was intact and proudly displayed on Christmas tree. Through the window, I got up and stumbled back inside. Finding my parents safe in bed, I vowed that I would put the events, best events out of my mind and try to enjoy Christmas best I could. My now felt lumps of star tissues burgling from the side. By springtime, I had mostly success in trying to put those memories of the past Christmas out of my mind. It helped find distractions, school, friends, that sort of thing. Helped me keep me focused in the present and made it easier to convince myself that the whole thing has been a terrible dream. According to the witch, Corbin visited his changes acting generally and felt that if I could simply forget what happened, then somehow the whole damn thing would be simply stop. Following the insomnious tradition of our family, Christmas trees had been firmly planted in the ground and it was beginning to spread new needles. The line of trees was now much longer and I challenged myself to run the new distance in record time. On the warm April day, I set my stopwatch and started off on my run. I flew past the teen twenties, thirties at the terrifying speed, but then I went forties my lungs were burning. Pace yourself, I thought. I sat in a slower gait and glanced at the stopwatch and missed. When I looked up again, I saw her, America. 
standing quietly among the trees. She looked just as the have seen her, with her very dress, unkempt hair, banging stuck in her face. Her skin was gray, almost like she was told from a black and white TV. She was trying to speak, but whatever words she was trying to make, they left her mouth silently. said with constant surprise the sight of her made my already racing heart go a little bit faster she was miserable heartbroken pictures but i felt no fear that mount has sadness and remorse it's me charlie she never actually seen me before then she shook her head and looked down at the ground i approached her with my hands out trying to make her at ease when she looked back up and peeped face of movie will begin to destroy her head tilted to the sky and her mouth opened impossibly wide her forehead and chin melted into her neck which in turn melted into her torso i could still see her tongue and her teeth though a large hole then had been in her mouth as she continued to read to see into the earth her whole body turned into black tar and after a few moments staring in awe at the tall unsorbent blue into the earth leaving the dead spot on the grass so much for trying to forget about christmas i fell back onto the ground no longer concerned about making a new personal record imagine living through my mind i saw megan in the only one dress holding on to a pillow i saw corbin angry gripping his string wheel while i sped along the italian highway there that day, I walked behind the man of this world, wherever the bunker has been. It was far enough from the main house that the cotton felt like I need to maintain a full time, and it had reversed in the most natural state. I walked among the bushes and seeds to grow there. I have never noticed, but much of the bunkhouse cemented foundation was still in place. It's been broken up in parts and had been ridden and it carries away, but it's only knew what to look for. The building footprints were still visible under the tangled vines and low sung branches. Pushing through the groan, I, I walked to where the bedroom would have been. I scanned the ground looking for there the was the small hole in the foundation where Mega was hiding. It was still covered by a slab of cement. I kneeled down and brushed the dirt from the slab, then lifted it carefully and put aside a breath of dust. Escaped from the opening, after a cautious pause, I reached into darkness. My hands pressed up against the scrap metal and went across between the trees. I pulled out and looked. What it was my headless prover hadn't aged well, though it was recognizable as the door I had created. I held it carefully with both hands to prevent it from falling apart. Once I obtained Mega's treasure, I had no real idea of what to do with it. The existence of Perla essentially confirms that my eventually Mega and Corbin had actually been sort of on collegiate of fantasy. That sets my mom panic for the remainder of the day. That night, I ended up storing it all in the top drawer. I could 
plus which is where it stayed until the next time I saw Mad Dog that is it was probably a couple of months later sometime in June when her after sewed up in my bed she fell asleep with a bitter cold and woke me up I pushed at the open window and pulled the blanket off my chin when I saw her he was a little twinkling in the room just enough to see her like time before I thought no fear. My mouth opened and closed to the only thing I could hear and the rustling of the cold breeze that blew through my room. Slowly as he left the fingers on top of the dresser and the drawer and pointed. What do you want to do? I asked her. So he continued pointing at the dresser until a little bit of started falling off. First finger detached as four white disappeared from smoking mist. The breast of her arm broke into pieces, falling the suit. Then her head simply rolled back and hit the ground it, to disappear the rest of the detonation into the pieces as soon as she left. I took to ca- I took a, to carry Perla into my pocket wherever I went. It was perfectly uncomfortable, but it seemed like Mega had gone out of the way to send a message to me through. I wasn't you sure exactly what it was. Still, I looked what it would be wise to keep Perla close. Many times, I completed telling my parents about what happened. They loved me and were very devoted to my care. But I had the fundamental understanding that there was really nothing they could do for me. Even if they believed my story, which they wouldn't. However, I did have an interesting conversation with my father about the missing 1958 long-time and they told him that the nearly half the manor had burned down at some point during the 50s. The fire started with the Christmas tree, apparently. He explained to me, he glanced at the room with the sitting in. They did a marvelous job matching the new construction to the old, he said. I agree with him. So it looked like that your answer about the missing tree is got destroyed by every good chance by the ground. I guess they left the gap that memory of the lost tree, kind of like a gloomy, peaceful hold for Christmas that wasn't... He some praise. Yeah, I know, I said quietly. When school started this fall, a couple of times a week, I would stop by the library on my way home and look through the old microfiches of the local newspaper, hoping to find mention of Mako or any Muslim girl for that matter. I had no luck. It was almost like he never existed. I did find information on Corbin. His last name was Motel, and just like the rents had told me, he had been put to death in the electric show in 1974 after being convicted for a string of murders dating from 1960. The police and prosecutors never knew about Maga, his first victim. More months have passed, I didn't see Maga in the intervening time. Though I could feel her presence around me, my unease grew as Christmas drew near, and my memories of Corbin came into sharper focus. 
but the knowledge that Mega was a rat helped somewhat. I threw myself into my schoolwork and chores, trying my best to keep occupied. On December 24th, I went to church with my parents. I prayed for salvation, forgiveness, and everything in between. I wasn't sure if it would help, but I knew it wouldn't hurt. My parents let me open a couple of gifts before they went to sleep, but the rest of them were saved for Christmas itself. I made sure to cherish the moment, not really knowing what fate awaits me and my family that night. My parents went to sleep early, but let me stay up, but not too late, my father warned. Santa won't stop here if you're still awake when he passed by. He winked while I forced a laugh. The house became eerie quiet. I sat in the parlor next to a grand decorated tree. The fireplace kept warm as it settled into my father's little chair. The old manor creaked and groaned at the night cold. I grabbed a blanket off the couch and pulled it up to my chin. I waited in silence. I might have dozed off, but I'm not sure what time it was when I heard a low rumbling of an engine. I poked my head up. It really happened, I thought. The sound grew louder as the source drew nearer. The light headlights illuminated the room and cast a morbid-looking shadow along the wall. The car came to a stop right outside the parlor's window, but the engine kept going. It revived, then revived even louder. I completely lost my nerve at that point. I swore to myself that I would meet Corbin head on and not try to run, but in the moment listening to the engine scream and feeling heat from the, his headlight, I threw the blanket off and ran upstairs to my parents' room. to their door and slammed into it as I turned the knob. It might as well have been a block wall. It didn't budge no matter how hard I tried. It wouldn't open outside. I could hear the coven kill the engine. The complete silence that followed was punctured by the car door opening and then closing, followed by gravel footsteps coming up to the house. I could hear nothing from the other side of my parents' door. I said a prayer that they were okay and then walked down the hallway towards the stairs. I poked my head over the banister and stared down. Some firelight from the parlor flickered beneath me, but for the most part, I was looking straight into darkness. Colvin's voice fractured the still air. You can calm down now. I waited at the top of the stairs. Don't make me mad again. Boy, I'm in the kitchen. I walked down the stairs wobbly legs that could barely support me. I felt like a weight of a thousand pounds. He was in the kitchen going through our refrigerator. You didn't leave out any milk and cookies, he said with a wicked laugh. He came out from behind the refrigerator holding a turkey leg, which he pointed in the direction of the table. Sit down, he said right before taking a bite of the other hand and had a gallon of milk which he took a swig as soon as he followed his first bite of the turkey. We both sat at the table directly across from one another. So you failed kid. He took another bite of the turkey before speaking again. You had a chance to save Mary and you wasted it. You changed for thing nothing happened that night. Almost like you were there at all. She died the same way. Her name's Magda, 
I correct it. It doesn't matter. It certainly doesn't change the fact that you still, you still dead, little girl. I tried to stare him down, but I was shaking too much to maintain eye contact. Instead, my eyes moved to the floor. Corbin glanced around the room. Never cared for this house much. He put the milk bottle to his lips and drank the whole thing in nearly one entire gallon. He belched loudly and spoke again. I don't like this place at all. I don't like being here, and I certainly don't like you. The problem is, I don't choose who calls out to me either. I hear you through or not, don't. And if I hear you, you're basically in trouble. Corbin dropped the turkey leg on the floor and pulled a cigarette out of his shirt pocket. A flame came from his finger and lit it. He took a long drag and continued. I don't fancy coming back here year after year, but as long as you're alive, I got to. You see, I can't physically hurt a kid. I visit you at least not while he's still young, but I can kill his family. I can kill his friends. I can kill his dog and take all those very little things. Year after year, I come back each time and take a little more. I think my buddy at the garage might explain it to you. He stared across the table at me. I could feel his glare penetrating my back of my skull. I'm going to make you a deal. We can just end this this year. How do we do that, I thought. You asked for protection to be removed, he said. He it slowly and seriously before perking and speaking again. So that's it. You asked for it, and then I got you a little piggy, and the rest of your family stays safe. I don't want to get get it like a pig. Of course you don't. Nobody does. That's what makes it goddamn fun. And I'll tell you what. If you don't agree to this, I'll make sure that you wish you had. He pointed upstairs to my parents' bedroom. Remember when you wished that you could beat your father at base basketball? I thought back months earlier when my father and I would go into the park and play one-on-one. I made such a wish after he defeated me handily. I guess I reached the age where he no longer felt it is right to let me win. Coburn let the memory sink in and then sat up. Well, you won't have any trouble beating your father after I rip his arms off. And remember when you wish for a little brother or sister? I nodded yes. Good, I'm glad you remember. Let's just say I'll take care of that too. Only it won't be your daddy making this father. He glared at me. And that's just the beginning. They'll wind up dead sooner or later, as well everyone you know or care about. That is after I had my fun with them. Okay, just kill them, I thought. No, you have to say it out loud. Kill them. I trailed off, unable to say it completely. Say it, he screamed. Kill me. I finally blunted out the tears beginning to flow down my cheek. He relaxed back into his chair and took a drag from his cigarette. Well, he said, I didn't know what he wanted. At least, 
try to make this interesting for me i already made the trip out here you know you took another drag of your cigarette and flipped to the ground you're stupid run i stood up slowly backing out of the kitchen Corbin went back to refrigerator and began reading run run he said with his head hidden behind the refrigerator door Is a bus and door to the kitchen doorway and down the hallway. I paused to consider which way I should go. My gut instincts told me upstairs, but as my foot hit the footsteps, I saw her, Mega, standing silently before me. Her arm rose up and she pointed her finger in the direction of the front door. I quickly decided that hiding in the nearby woods would be best. I shot out in the front entrance and down the footsteps. And I turned my head towards the woods area and edge of the property. I heard a crashing of glass behind me. I twisted around and saw the refrigerator which has been thrown through the kitchen window, smashing in the ground. Corbin poked out in the shadow window and laughed. There wasn't anything good to eat in there anyway. He effortlessly hopped out the window and landed on the ground. I doubled my pace, running over the lawn and the wood lying the edge of the property. Once under the cover of the trees, I showed down to catch my breath. I looked back, but I couldn't see my tormentor until I heard rustling in the trees above me. Looking up, I saw a smiling Corbin standing on one of the branches. I took off running again, further and further away from the house, for what seemed for eternally uphill, I sprinted. I fell down exhausted. The cold the air was torturing my lungs, and I was beginning to think that any effort to escape was probably futile. As I laid panting on the ground, I saw Nanya once again. Her mouth was open and closing, and like the time before, her fingers rose and pointed. I brushed off and looked to where my dosing. It was back from where I come. I just came from there, I protested. Then, with a high-pitched shriek, her voice broke through save us i looked again and where she was pointing her finger wasn't aimed for the manor house or originally thought it was aiming for a row of trees that were on the other side of the property i started running against the way where she directed me Corbin's voice boomed from getting tired yet he followed that was freezing laugh restored through the woods I ran as fast as I had as I could until I tasted a feel coming from my throat. For the most of the effort, Corbin was never far from me, taunting me and laughing. My eyes filled with tears, dirt, and sweat, making it nearby impossible to see where I was. I tried to wipe them clean from with my sleeve, but once I rubbed the dirt in, Naga still screaming, howling out once again, Charlie! I stumbled towards the direction of the foot and finally collapsed in despair. The sun was crunching snow towards me, and my pursuer was closing in. In a final act of desperation, I had the thought of maybe Perla could use to some protection. Tasman. I grabbed it from my pocket and held it up in front of me. As Corbin approached, I lost all hope when I saw the burlap and Perla skin began to fall apart in my hands. Twigs that had formed the doll's body snapped. I tried to hold on, but 
Corbin still looked at me and laughed. You think a doll is going to help you? He kept stepping towards me, unbelievable. The doll was worthless. He aimed a shot out of his grabbed my shirt, using my life me to the ground. You pathetic little boy, he said. I heard his switchblade open. My sight grew dimmer until I only saw darkness. It's time for you to die, you little kid. I faded out of consciousness and my body went limp. So that's what happened. My son asked in explanation. I was telling him the same story I just told you. Through for him, I cleaned up the language. Well, I'm not sure exactly. I responded. What do you mean you're not sure? Where did the Mary Corbin go? I looked at my son's face, which was lit by a few amount of early evening sunlight that filtered through the window of my study. I could see his brows and tried to make sense of what he just heard. He was just about the same age as I was when Corinth first came to me. He looked out the window and the ground was a bit more mannered. On the second floor, Vincent's point gave up a spectacular view. I don't know where he went exactly. I guess he returned to his garage. All I know for sure is that I woke up the next morning in the same spot where he left me. I brushed off the snow and dirt and crawled back into my house. I never saw him or Magda again. And Grandma and Grandpa were okay? Yeah, they were fine. My parents who lived happy lives passed away naturally many years later. They were never aware of what happened. Why didn't he kill you? I'm not sure. I continued to study my son's face to guard his reaction to tell him what I was telling him. I didn't want him to get too disturbed by what I was hearing. I suppose it may seem weird that I was telling my young son a real-life horror story on Christmas Eve of all nights, but I did have some good reason. First, it was at their parents to finally tell someone what happened all those years ago. He was the right age where he had still believed me, but was old enough to realize it was if he wanted to. Second, I wanted to make sure that Corbin hadn't ever come to visit and judge by how he responded to what I was telling him. He's thankfully never met that man. Finally, I told him the story because he asked me about it in 1958, and to be clear, my son didn't ask me why it was missing. I had once asked instead, he asked me why it was so big. I continued with my story, so the spot where I woke up Christmas morning, the spot that Meg alerted me to. Can you guess where it was? It was where the 1958 tree is, right? Yeah, I said. When I passed out, I dropped Perla in the exact spot. And do you remember what her head was made of? The cog of wheels of the brain turned a pine cone, I nodded. The next spring, I noticed a new tree growing. By the time the next Christmas came along, it was already over 10 feet tall. My son, who was much more logical than I was, took issue. Trees don't grow that fast, and 
uh, you didn't ever plant it correctly. Just dropped a 30-year-old pine cone in the snow. I know all that, I said, agreed me. I totally explained it all. All I know for sure that the tree kept growing at a tremendously rate. After a few years, it was as big as the trees that had been there for decades. Now, it's the biggest tree of all of them, by far. My son scratched his head and completed the lure out the log's picture frame. The fading sunlight painted in the snowy ground, cold along the Christmas tree silhouette themselves against the sky. The fireplace cracked behind us and the festive lights were heaved turned harmonically illuminated the house. I bet Magda buried under that tree, my son concluded. I was speechless when the expression out the mouth of my boot. He was right. Sometimes a truth is so obvious that you can't help but miss it. If you're looking too close, you'll never see the full picture. If you spend all the time looking at the image for a stroke of all sudden, everything made a perfect sense. I was almost embarrassed by the fact that I never figured out for myself. Corbin, knowing that his employer's would be returning that night needed a place quickly to dispose the body and that's better place than a hole that already started digging and would no longer be needed dad my son pondered bringing out a deep thought i think you're right son whoa he said in awe I believed I failed Nanya, but finally I realized when I dropped Perla in that exact spot, it actually gave her spirit the means to make her mark on the world. She was a girl who no one knew existed, the girl who the entire life was erased without leaving even the slightest mark behind. The tree stood of a living grave mark her that was grander than anything could have been carved with stone. It was a way for her to be remembered, a way for her to avoid being removed from history completely. The entire time when Spirit had been pushing the tree up toward the heavens, that's why it was so big. I never saved her life, but whatever I was meant to do, it somehow saved her soul. I can't say that I completely understand how it worked out of this way, but I know in my heart that I meant. Should we have moved her to the cemetery, my son asked, again breaking out in thought. No, I think she's finally happy where she is. I put my head on his shoulder as we both stood out to Magnus Street. You know what? I don't think my job is done. We have some time before your mom gets home. Do you want to go down there with me and put a few ornaments on the tree? We'll have to bring a ladder, my son replied with a serious tone. But we should do it. Magna would like that, I think. She will, I'm sure of it. And next year, I said, we'll hire a crane to decorate the whole thing with a thousand lights that will make it a new tradition that it will be the grandest Christmas tree in the state, maybe even the world. Cool, he said. In excitement, as we left the study, on our way out to the house, we stopped by the parlor, where my son pulled out an armload of ornaments off the tree. I took only one little figure of Santa and... With that, we headed outside to spread some long overdue Christmas cheer.
Wow, at the end of the story, he actually saved the girl's soul. That was amazing. So if you want to submit your scary stories, you can send them to shaws9959 at gmail.com. That's shaws9959 at gmail.com. And I'll see you guys in my next episode.